Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us and listening today. I am honored to have as our guest today, Bill Courtney, president and founder of Classic American Hardwoods. Bill is right here in the studio with me. Our podcast is entitled Entrepreneur, Exporter, Author, and Oh Yeah! was part of an Oscar-winning documentary. Bill has some wonderful stories to tell, so now I'm very pleased to introduce Bill. Hello, Bill, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Betsy. Really glad to have you. So, I know that you graduated from University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. Did you grow up in Memphis? I did. Born and raised. Um, Park and Colonial area is where I'd consider my stomping grounds and then uh, uh, moved out to what is now Cordova. Mm -hmm. Back then when Germantown was just two-lane, windy road. Um, But yes, I'm, I'm born and bred. Okay. Me too. Me too. But we've got listeners... Now, all over the world, so that that's great to explain. Um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your company, uh, Classic American Hardwoods? I believe it was founded in 2001, is that correct? Yeah, sure. It's, um, it's it, hardwoods and softwoods. People hear the lumber business, and they immediately default to 2x4s and 4x6s and what you see at a Home Depot. Um, but hardwoods and softwoods, um, the similarities are that they're lumber, but they end there. Mm-hmm. Um, think of it this way. Softwoods build a building, hardwoods furnish it. So uh, I, I am a manufacturer of things that make flooring and furniture and cabinets and moldings and doors, red oak, white oak, poplar, ash, maple, those type of things. and. Scientifically, the difference in in the products is hardwoods are deciduous, meaning they lose their leaves during the winter. So if you see a tree that has pine needles or leaves during the wintertime, it's a softwood. And if not, it's a hardwood. So it actually doesn't have anything to do with the the texture or density of the wood at all. Yes. It's it's just uh, the the nomenclature is hardwoods or softwoods. And... Whether or not it's uh, deciduous, and so uh, we manufacture hardwood products that go into uh, furnishings for homes, businesses, um, retail stores, um, and and pretty much you're surrounded by them, and uh, and we uh, we ship to uh, 42 different countries, wow. and I don't import anything. I am right. I am all export. I, I am a manufacturer of domestic American hardwoods and export all over the place. That's why you're here, because <laughs> that's all we talk <laughs> about is export stories. Um, is um, 
Mississippi, Tennessee, or Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana is still like the heart of the hardwood growth? Well, 80% of the temperate hardwoods that are harvestable in the United States grow east of the Mississippi River. So really it's not just Mississippi, it's New York through Louisiana, uh, east of the Mississippi River, and uh, hardwoods are broken down into three categories, which are Southern, Northern, and Appalachian. And so if you'll just kind of think of, think of geographically the Eastern half of the United States, uh, that's where all of the different hardwoods, woods grow. Um, Incidentally for for those of your listeners who may be wondering about the environmental impacts, hardwoods are also selective cut, meaning they don't go in, we don't go in and clear cut forest. Right. We only take trees that are 12 inches DBH or bigger, diameter breast height or okay. bigger, um, which allows the canopies of the bigger trees to be removed and the saplings, there are saplings in the in the American forest that the tree itself is more than three or four foot tall, but the, 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 the roots of that tree are 30 or 40 years old and they haven't been able to grow because the canopies on the larger trees don't allow sunlight and water to it. So professionally managing hardwood forests, um, is, is, is how we do things. And there's uh, 60% more harvestable hardwood timber in the United States today than there was in 1950. Wow. Uh, it's something. Well, most, it's a renewable resource. It's and, the only renewable yeah. natural resource. If, yeah. you'll, if you'll think of any natural resource we have, you go on the ground and you get oil, it's gone. Gas is gone. Ore, it's gone. Gold, diamonds. The only natural resource, oxygen, the only natural resource in the world that's renewable is a hardwood tree. Yes. Um, and so our industry has spent a, um, a lot of time and a lot of science on on how to properly manage the forest so that this resource not only continues to be renewable, but actually expands in its scope. Wonderful. That, I, I love hearing that, and I know other people do. So you have a, uh, a large manufacturing facility here. I think the website said 45 acres. I don't know if that's changed. That's correct. It's 45 acres of Memphis. And, and you have domestic sales offices here and international sales offices in Shanghai, China, and Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Are there any others that I'm leaving in? No, in terms of offices, Mm -hmm. those are the only two overseas offices. We do a lot of business in Europe as well, and Central and South America, as well as Australia, um, and South Africa. But we don't, it's the language barrier. Um, And so in, in Vietnam and China, in order to do uh, any significant amount of business there, you need offices there with um, Chinese and Vietnamese-speaking people. That sure. the, the documentation to export just one load of lumber is is pretty significant um, because it's a it's a living, breathing organism. Right. Um, and and so there's a, a lot of phyto, phytosanitary certificates and, and all of this. Well, those have to be translated into. Yes. Chinese and, and Vietnamese, and so we have people in those offices that handle that paperwork, as well as salespeople in those offices that right. go out to 
Chinese and Vietnamese manufacturers and selling right. products. And I believe Indonesia, Philippines, those are large uh, manuf- uh, furniture manufacturing areas too, um, aren't they? Uh, we do business in Indonesia and Malaysia. In fact, we had an office in Surabaya, Indonesia. Um, some socio-political uh, issues kind of got us out of that market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can sell we so still sell from, there. Yeah, we, we absolutely sell there all the yeah, time. Yeah. Of course, um, the Chinese market right now is not a good market. Yeah. Um, and that is has this tariff related or other all other, tariff related. All tariff. Well, that's not fair. Okay. Their their economy was already beginning to soften. They overbuilt. They had a housing bubble. Um, yeah. And that was that was happening at the same time that the the trade war started. And the tariffs have been a perfect storm for the Chinese economy, and the Chinese economy is not good. Yeah. Uh, and the tariffs um, have made anybody that imports or exports anything into China right. or from China um, exceedingly difficult. Uh, it's 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 having a it's having a, a significant negative impact on Asian business right now for American companies. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a little scary to, when you don't know if the end is is going to be if the resolution is coming soon. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's not only scary; it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's hard to manage a business. It's hard enough to manage a business. It's hard enough to operate in a world economy. Um, there's cultural differences. There's language differences. There's banking differences. And those are all market conditions that um, proper management says you can't overcome those things. But when you get into um, political fights, uh, those are not market driven. Those are not supply and demand driven. And so managing an import-export business with regard to to China right now with the tariffs uh, is, is really difficult because you're not reacting um, to typical economic conditions based on the decisions you're making and also because uh, the narrative from the politicians continues to change so does your approach and therefore you're, you, you don't have a, 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 a nine month, one year and three year plan with regard to China right. you have about a weekly plan uh. to China based on what the guys in D.C. and Beijing decide. And, for instance, President Trump, uh, I I know we're recording now, and this may be be old news by the time this airs, but President Trump, just this Sunday, said he was taking his tariffs from 10% to 25%. Right, right. Well, effectively, that stops all business with China. Unbelievable. Uh, There's just no way to overcome that. And if you have product that was in the pipeline or about to worse then you worse. have to find other markets or Wor- worse than sits. in the pipeline uh it takes 35 days to get product on a boat from the united uh. states to china it's estimated right now there's 1.6 billion dollars worth of american goods on boats headed to china and if the tariff takes place on the on friday you shipped on a certain margin and a certain uh. thing and those tariffs hit wow. so if those goods are not imported and paid for by the close of business Friday, you just got a 15% tax bill on wow. all of those goods, which means customers have to in China have to pay those taxes and they can't afford them. So 
there's $1.5 billion worth of U.S. goods on ship lines right now in the middle of the ocean that are in peril, and it's likely many of those orders will get canceled with no home. So now you've got product all over the ocean on boats, and where do you send it? Oh, my gosh. What a nightmare for so many people. That's why I think it's important we're talking about this. Well, it is, and it's all, it's, it, it is, and it's also one of the reasons, and I don't know if this is where we wanted to go with this conversation. Well, I've got some other things to talk about. Podcasts tend to go where yeah. they go, but, yes. the, but the, the, the truth is um, that's, the, that's, that's the dangerous game that politicians are playing with people's livelihoods right now. I agree. I um, agree. And it's and it's um, it's uh, and, and and candidly, if you want to talk geopolitically, manufacturing chases cheap labor. It always has, always will. Right. If you'll think about in the Carolinas in the '50s, '60s, and '70s, there were textile mills everywhere. Well, there's not a textile mill left over there. They, they moved to China. And so right. if we put tariffs on China and make it almost impossible for China to buy our cotton and, and we shut down their textile business, the, the utopian idea is then that those textile mills move back to the United States. But no. the textile mills are not going to move back to the United They're States at $13 back. an hour. Right. A, a, a common laborer in Egypt makes 37 cents a day. Right. They'll move to Laos, they'll move to Cambodia, they'll move to India, they'll move to Egypt. So, yeah. yes, the tariffs effectively hammer the Chinese, but it doesn't help the American consumer no. because your products are going to be more expensive. Exactly. And it doesn't help the American worker because those jobs aren't coming back here. Exactly. Well, that, that remains true also with furniture plants, with cabinet manufacturers. Which used to be in North Carolina, North Carolina used to be the capital a, a, Another massive industry that's right. left. Right. And, and it is sad that it's left. But the point is, China didn't steal those businesses. Uh, cheap labor stole those businesses. Exactly. And, and, those, and manufacturing will also always chase cheap labor. And it's a world economy now. So while we may chase those industries out of China... We're not chasing them back to the United States. Exactly. They're just going to find cheap labor. Exactly. And there's cheap labor literally all over the world. It's really important for people to understand that and not be naive about the, the effects. So. Well, frankly, I think the vast majority of the public with regard to tariffs are suffering through naivete. Yeah. And frankly, I think the press is doing a, a really poor job. Yeah. Even if politically you're opposed to Donald Trump and you want to have a conversation, a political conversation, and even if the press politically wants to have a conversation about Donald Trump, they're chasing all of this collusion stuff and they're sleeping on the biggest story. And the biggest story is our world economy right now due to decisions like Brexit and tariffs, right. is in peril. It is in peril. It's very weak, right? It's, it's very it is, soft it is, all it is, over. It is very soft. And, and, that, and meanwhile, we're reporting on Russian collusion and missing the real story, yes. which is um, there's, some, there's, some, there's, some, there's, some, there's some rope holding this thing together right now that's getting pretty frayed. Right. And, and until we fix these geopolitical uh, decisions that are that are that, that are negatively affecting 
manufacturing all over the world. Yes. Um, we're we're going to continue to to suffer, Absolutely. and there's a lot of businesses suffering as a result of of these. There's going to be a long tail on this issue. If they if it was resolved on Friday, which I seriously doubt. Let's just hope it is. Let's hope. Okay. But still, there's going to be a long tail. You talk about supply, you know, people have been stocking the up. The entire there's, supply chain is destroyed. Yeah, it's, it's going to take the, a long time for it to be resolved. Container rates from China back to the United States have almost doubled in the last six months because... There's nothing... There's that, nothing going to China. Exactly. And so the containers are going to China empty. Right. And so to put product in and to come back, the import... So... I mean, that's yep. one. There's a a there's a, a there's a litany of issues. So even if even when this thing gets settled, which eventually it's going to have to, yeah. when it does get settled, you're looking at a six month to twelve month ramp back up. Exactly. So we're not talking exactly. about okay, we this is a six or seventh month issue. Yeah. Even if it's fixed today, it's a nineteenth month issue, right? And and that has ramifications across the world. Now, the product that you ship does it um, does it have a shelf life, a long shelf life? Well, say it has to sit in a warehouse it, it can, somewhere long, for a while. As long as it stays dry, yeah, it can sit in a warehouse for a long, long, long time, well, years, good. years. That's good. Um, but it is a commodity. Yeah. And so the shelf life is less about its viability as a product and more about its value. Right, right. Um, and right. and that is, that's what keeps guys like me up at night is, you know, you, you ship at a certain value and 40 days later that value may change 20% by the time it arrives. And um, you, you can't build 20% margin into the price. You must uh, have a strong constitution. Uh, well, I, I, just, know, I, I imagine I, it's stressful. I, I, have a, I have a really good bar at home. <laughs> well, one of the things I want to talk about today is because you really do have a fascinating story about how this business started. I think when I spoke to you recently, I asked if when you started your company, if the purpose was always export, and your answer was, no, not at all. Never, no. So when, can you explain how sure. the yeah, up until came two, about? Up until 2008, we didn't send a single board outside the United States and never planned on it. But then we had the Great Recession and the housing bust, and our industry in 2006 produced 14.5 billion board feet of lumber. In 2008, it produced five. That was the shrinkage. Wow. Right. And how do you survive that? And you survive that by finding alternative markets. And we were 100% domestic in the United States. And at the same time that we were on our knees, there were emerging markets all over the world that were starting, that middle class was starting to grow and want higher end products. And so that's when we started exporting to both Europe and China and Vietnam and uh, and everywhere else, and frankly, um, the uh, our our involvement in the world market is what kept the doors open for us. Now the domestic markets come back some; it will never come back to where it was pre two thousand eight levels, right. but it's come back a little. 
Um, and we never abandoned the domestic market. We just supplemented with um, international markets. Right. And so right. we, we went specifically uh, as a survival mode um, and uh, made a lot of mistakes early. Uh, it's it's not an easy process. You have to. You just have to learn. But you, you do. So did you start out by uh, using the Department of Commerce doing Gold Key and that kind of thing? Did you go to the markets? <laughs> did you go to trade shows? This this may not be a popular answer, but yes, we did for four or five months until we realized that it was not helpful. Um, okay. Listen. I don't care, the, you know, the, the fundamentals of business are the fundamentals of business and the right. fundamentals of sales always have been and always will be relationships. Absolutely. And, and so what we learned very quickly is all of these associations and all of the tax dollars spent on every, here's what you do. You get on a plane, you go sit down in front of customers, you sit down in front of them and you build a relationship. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we did. Um, and that's what we continue to do. Did you um, go to trade events in those countries? or No, because uh, trade events are uh, a lot like county fair. All you got to do is buy a ticket and everybody can show up. Yeah. Meaning yeah. every every customer, every vendor, every competitor is uh, there. Uh, and... Um, that doesn't distinguish yeah. you very much. Right. So no, we we've we spent a lot of time finding out who and where the customers were. Right. And we uh, logged a lot of uh, uh, a lot bet. of hours traveling. I, I have bet. I have I have scraped my share of wheels on curbs in countries that they drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> I have um, I have uh, I have slept in you know there's places in tell Europe. us some stories about getting started okay the first hotel I ever booked in Germany um, I could simultaneously brush my teeth watch my feet and turn the knob on the TV without ever leaving my bed <laughs> their normal their normal room yeah. is smaller than a broom closet right. I learned quickly to be yeah. very careful what you book um, yeah, yeah. The, and, uh, and this towel is the size of a postage stamp yeah it's, it's yeah it's uh, so uh, in, in in Asia specifically um um, food was a challenge for me the first time around. Yeah. When you're in Shanghai or Beijing or Xi'an or Qingdao yeah. or some major metropolitan yeah. areas, Shenzhen, yeah. it's it's fine. Yeah. But when you get into and and but you don't put massive manufacturing facilities in the middle of cosmopolitan cities. No. You know how you know there's yeah. there's just not. They're out right. in the middle of. The country. What are some of the major provinces in China where they have the, all of them? All of them, really. It is phenomenal. Okay. Um, but uh, specifically, I was in uh, Xi'an, which mm-hmm. is spelled X-I-A-N. It's right. where the Terracotta Warriors are. Right. right. And I sat down to lunch. And there was not a single thing on the table I could identify. <laughs> and was uh, it hot pot that 
that uh, well in China in in business mills in China for the most part are four or five or six people around a table yeah and it's just a it's just a, a constant barrage of different dishes yes on a lazy Susan that yes. just rolls around and um, and I'm I to this day have n- absolutely no clue what I ate. And probably it's better that way that I don't know what I ate. I kind of had that philosophy, too. The Vietnamese food, although, is is really good. I think it's funny when I tell people I'm going to China. They're like, oh, man, you're going to get to eat so much good food. I'm like, people need to understand fortune cookies were invented in San Francisco. That's right. That's right. Not China. And (laughs) the things that we eat are are not what is right. over there that that was different yeah. um they have some great sauces for the fish I oh mean, they do i love especially I love if you like hot stuff yeah. yeah yeah um uh but you have to be adventuresome snake wine is an interesting is that an interesting have, have you seen it no yeah, it's a clear bottle of wine with this dead snake curled up in the bottom of it yum and uh it's poured into a shot glass, and they call it snake wine. I think it's basically PGA with a dead snake on the bottom of it. <laughs> and it's... Uh, Is there enough alcohol to, to uh, kill the venom or whatever? <laughs> I, I am not. I, I'm light-skinned and light-haired, and I'm not a hairy guy. But, yeah. you know, once you get to be 50, you got to trim your nose hair and everything else <laughs> to keep up. I didn't have to trim my nose hair for a month and a half. It singed it off. It was rough. Wow. Um, uh, Eastern Europe mm-hmm. is one of the, the 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 coolest places there there is. It's it's you're walking on on around you're walking you're walking around on roads that were built by Vikings. Yeah. And it's an area that uh, until the 80s was still under Soviet rule. And when you're talking about Estonia, Lithuania. Uh, Romania, all, all up and down through yeah. Eastern Eastern Europe, and it took them about fifteen years to figure out exactly how freedom worked uh, and how yeah. capitalism worked. But right. now that they figured it out, Eastern Europe is uh, Eastern Europe is a phenomenal place. It is, it is, it is. amazing, and the people are happy. And they're building, and what they're building is cosmopolitan and beautiful, and uh, and they happen to really, 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 really appreciate America, because they knew if it was not for Ronald Reagan, they would have never had the breakup of the Soviet Union. So right. they still think Ronald Reagan's the best president that ever lived. Yeah. And they also know that if it wasn't for the might of the American military that Putin would do to them exactly what he's done in the Ukraine. And so they respect us, they trust us, they appreciate us, and they like doing business with us. That's wonderful. Um, and it, and it's just a, 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 a really cool place to do business. I would think that there would be craftsmen in the furniture business that maybe have passed on All some of the skills. All over Eastern Europe. All over Eastern Europe. From, it is, it yeah. is that. It's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Eastern Europe is a is a great place. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite cities? In- Tallinn, Estonia, for sure. It's absolutely beautiful. Old school Tallinn still has a old city. Tallinn still has about a 
60-foot stone fence built all the way around the city. And in the city, center city, sits a cathedral. And then there's all the buildings around it. The mm-hmm. hotel I stay in was built in 1200 um, A.D. And so cool. it's uh, it's phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously I love London. I'm headed yeah. there soon. And yeah. Frankfurt, Germany, I think, is one of the neatest places there is. Uh, Hamburg mm-hmm. is beautiful. Um, recently, I was in Uzbekistan, and um, they had a holdover Soviet president for 23 years, and about yeah. three years ago, um, he was ousted, and the new president there is a reformer. And Uzbekistan got their first fast food restaurant about six months ago. There's a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and there's a seven-hour wait. And and that is a it's Tashkent is the the city. Okay. And Central Asia is just phenomenal. They are. It is a weird collection of of kind of kind of Middle Eastern, kind of Asian, and kind of Russian right. people, and they're beautiful. The people are absolutely beautiful. They are incredibly friendly, uh, and they, too, are starting to enjoy what freedom and democracy and capitalism can mean for them, well, and their their uh, their economy is absolutely exploding. Is it a, I don't know the politics of Uzbekistan, but is, uh, how powerful is the, is it still a real powerful central government? It's a very, very powerful central government. Sure. Um, and, but the president is elected and they do have a, I guess it's a parliament, like a mm-hmm. Congress, um, but he is elected and, uh, it's, uh, it's quickly converting to a very free society and right. as a result, um, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you wouldn't have, the, the nicest car you might have seen would have been a Chevrolet Impala. <laughs> and, and now you see nice cars, nice yeah. homes, um, people spending money, stores cropping up. That's exciting. It it's is like, it's very exciting. I, I, you probably feel like a pioneer going into these markets, a market that. like that. And it I is. will tell you, it's, it's southern borders on Afga- is in Afghanistan. Yeah. And and so, here's an interesting story. Um, we uh, the gentleman that's doing a lot of business over there. That's not the wood business. It's a friend of mine. Um, I, I was with him on a on another thing, mm-hmm. and something I noticed was all the kids running around, and they don't they have not yet developed youth programs for after school. And so I'm working on a joint venture with a, a large brand that you would know mm-hmm. to start um, youth sports. Oh, great. And, and he wanted the director of uh, recreation for Uzbekistan wants to start female rugby. Ooh. And I thought that was interesting. That's and very said, interesting, that said, part of that. And I said, specifically, why female rugby? And he said, because it will make the girls have teamwork. It will make our, our, our young ladies independent, and it will make our ladies tough, and they are much less likely to be radicalized. So it's still a Muslim country. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah but they country. are not. They, 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 
right next to the Capitol is a Presbyterian church and a Catholic cathedral. Oh, okay. They're 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 vastly Muslim, yeah. uh, but they they are they are. You practice whatever you want to, but if you start infringing on somebody else's rights, we're not putting up with it. Yeah. And they're still one of those governments that when they say they're not putting up with it, they it's they're over, not putting up. It's with over it. quickly. Yeah. They're not worried about too much of what anybody has to say about the way they handle it. But I thought it was very interesting that a Muslim leader of a Muslim centralist Muslim country said, I, we want that because that would help our females not to be radicalized. In other words, they're, they're really intent on, on changing the mindset uh, of their people toward a, a more free, open society. Wow. So, as a female, I'm really glad to hear that about their. Me too. The, and I was really proud of him for even thinking that way. And this is the head, someone in top part of the government that this is. It's kind of like the Secretary of State. Oh, that is great. Oh, that's encouraging. Right. And, and so, are they uh, manufacturing furniture for export or is it just for their own consumption no and that's another misnomer most most people are still under the assumption especially with places like china that we send our goods to china they make products and send them back to the united states and sell them to us and while that was true 15 years ago the chinese middle class grew by a number that is greater than the total middle class of the united states currently yeah just consider that Right. The number of people that that the the number of people that entered the middle class just in the last twelve months in China, right? That's more people than the entire middle class that exists in the United States. Yeah. It's... Well, when people raise up socioeconomically, they want right. nicer things. Right. So all the stuff we send over there, the vast majority of what we send over there is sold into their domestic economy. Right. They are a consumer now. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a large one. I went, the first time I went to China was, uh, let's see, 9-11, that was 2001, right? 2002, I went to China and they were, uh, you saw these western style housing going up everywhere they called them villas right villas. But they, they look like townhouses or whatever right so i mean there's a bajillion of them now yeah i'm sure and i'm sure and they are um the western style villa that was three thousand square foot that you saw in 2002 in Shanghai, for instance, yeah. was a hundred and fifty thousand U.S. equivalent. Mm-hmm. Today, it's three and a half million. Dang! Right. So. It's 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 they have gone through yeah. an amazing and significant growth over there. And now they're going to have uh, foreclosures. <laughs> well, and they're having troubles now. Yeah. But that's but. a direct result of their government. Listen. Right. Yeah. The United States government is exactly right about the things that China is doing that's unfair. Right. And it has to be stopped. Unfair trade. It is unfair trade, and it is intellectual theft and everything else. Yes. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not a politician, but I am saying the tariff and trade war has lingered on long enough now that there are American manufacturers that, if it continues much longer, will not survive it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I just feel like 
you know, I agree with you, and maybe we're we haven't been doing the right thing all along to this point. We haven't. This but but negotiation is a hard business, and it's it, you've got to work hard at it. They are, and, and you have to be smart. And and, and I, I won't get into politics yes. here and tell yeah. you who I Maybe. like and who I don't. I, I'll tell you who I like. I don't like any of them. <laughs> That's honestly okay. the truth. Yeah, um, yeah I but, hear that a lot. But the truth is, Donald Trump. And his administration is tackling something that should have been handled 20 years ago. Right. And right. as in typical U.S. political fashion, right. no one had the political guts to upset the apple cart and continue to kick the can down the road. And now yes. we're all paying for it. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and, and 20 years from now, somebody's going to be doing a podcast right. and they'll be talking about our right. national debt right, and Social Security in the same way. Yeah, and I'm getting up there. So. But, I mean, that's, yeah. that's no, what I'm saying no, it's is true. for your it's listeners true. how to relate an international issue right. is everybody knows that Social Security is going to be insolvent in three years. Right. Right. Everybody knows that we cannot continue to stay in 23 and 24 and 25 trillion dollars in national debt exactly. and growing every day. Right. There's going to be a day right. that we have to handle it. The problem is the politicians right now don't have the political courage to do something about it. That's right. So they kick the can down the road and continue to get elected. Right. This issue that Donald Trump's dealing with, the reason it's so painful now is because right. it was not dealt with 20 years ago when it should have been. Don't disagree at and, all. And so to his defense... Somebody had to do something, but yeah. the problem is it's gone on so long that yes. the answer and, and the hardball that's having to be paid, I'm, I'm telling you, there's yeah. farmers and American manufacturers and American importers right now that three, four, five more months of these kind of losses will not be in business anymore. It's, it's You can't take 25% out of a person's, we're not talking 25% revenue, no. we're talking 25% off the bottom line. Right. Right. Most people don't make twenty five percent net margins. No, no, it's it's serious. It's it is serious, serious, and it's important that we talk about it. So, uh, but I, there is one other thing I want to talk about that's not about China. And you brought up sports. I just have to bring this up because I want people to know. I loved your Oscar-winning documentary of which you were part, Undefeated. And people who haven't seen it need to see it. That was an amazing film. Thank you. So I want to ask you a few questions, if you don't mind, ask about them. that film. So first of all, uh, did when it when it was uh, first uh, started screening, did it go to a lot of film festivals? Well, when it was first made, it wasn't picked up by a single film festival. Nobody wanted it. Interesting. And um, I didn't know that. And uh, South by Southwest and Austin had a cancellation, and it got one spot. And it showed on like a Tuesday at noon, which is the worst time. I sure, mean, people sure. are working. Nobody's going to film festivals on right, Tuesday at noon. Right, right, right. And um, what most people don't know, and I certainly didn't at the time, is that f- film production is a lot like baseball. You've got every major league baseball team right now has scouts run around in Venezuela and Puerto Rico and right. and Dominican Republic right. trying to find that next amazing player that nobody knows about. Right. Well, that's what Sony and Disney and 
Miramax and all the big, they've got those people and those guys are running around at all these film festivals exactly. watching movies. And, and so I want that job. And well, right. when Undefeated showed that one spot, somehow someone demanded that Austin South by Southwest show it again. And so they showed it on a, on a Friday. And I got a call from the, the director's producer says, you got to get to Austin. And I'm like, why? I said, because it's getting a big showing. There's a bunch of people flying in from Hollywood to see it. Uh-huh. And it could be a big deal. And I, I said, well, is it really that big a deal? Am I even in it? I mean, I, I'd never seen it. I didn't know. Oh, you hadn't seen it? No. When it- so um, my kids, my wife and I load up and we go to Austin and we sit in this theater that seats about 900 on a Friday night and uh-huh. they show Undefeated and it's packed and I cannot tell you how surreal it is to see your... First of all, I don't... I didn't really think I talked as southern as I do <laughs> and I, I, I've you know, listened to my podcast I know how and, that is and, and I'm a lot fatter than I thought I was no. and and so the film showed and then that night there's an all night bidding war between uh, Weinstein MGM Disney and somebody else for it that is and surreal. it sold uh, at that night and um of course, Harvey Weinstein's had some troubles since then, but yeah. he was good to me. Good. Uh, he bought it, and then he uh, really pushed it, won the Academy Award, and then it got a theatrical release all over the country, and, oh, and the rest is history, history on yeah. that. Just for the few people who haven't seen it, I, I don't want to uh, summarize it in a nutshell, but can you summarize it in a nutshell? Yeah, the title's undefeated. It's not has nothing. To, being undefeated has nothing to do with wins and losses. Yeah. It has to do with not being defeated by your circumstances. Yeah. And it's not. It football is the backdrop. Um, it's not a football movie. It's 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 the the backdrop of the movie is certainly football, but the movie is is about exploring the human spirit, about exploring how not to let circumstances keep you down and that regardless of the of of, of the tally on the scoreboard um, there are still victories yeah. uh, to be had and uh, and the, the juxtaposition is here's this white guy who owns a business coaching a bunch of inner city african-american kids two completely different worlds that you find out that I grew up a lot more like the kids that I coached than my own children and the exploration of both being not defeated by your circumstances and how similar we really are despite preconceived notions and what you might see when you first recognize something um, is I think why the movie is so compelling. It has a real universal appeal to it. It does. I, I love it. So has it been shown internationally now? Yeah. Oh, you want to hear a good travel story? I do. I was on it. it Delta do. had you know how they put movies on airplanes for the you know the yeah. screens. About five years ago, Delta showed it for six or seven months. It was one of one of the movies on yeah. the catalog. And I'm sitting in my typical window seat. I, I like to do window seats. And I'm 
finish dinner. It's a long flight. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> look over, and this guy's in a suit, and he's a grown man, and he's watching a movie, and he's got his headsets on, and tears are just rolling down his face. Uh. And I'm like, I would never sit and watch a movie on a plane and cry like a little girl, for goodness <laughs> sakes. I know that was chauvinist, but that's, you know what I mean, yeah. for goodness sakes. Yeah. Anyway, so I lean says. my chair back to take a nap, and when I do, I get a view of his screen, and he's watching Undefeated, uh, which is hilarious. Yeah. And so... Did he look at you? Well, he finishes watching the movie, and I finish my dessert, and he gets up to go to the restroom, allegedly to compose himself or whatever, and I look him dead in the eyes, and I said, did you enjoy the movie? And he said, man, that thing... And then he paused, and he goes... No way. And I said, uh, yeah, that's me. And so. Uh, I, I love it. Oh, and, you know, I, I was in I was in London uh, three, not, not long ago, yeah. and I got out of a cab, and three Swedish guys attacked me and wanted pictures. It's, uh, wow. it's, it's, it's made a, it's made a, uh, it's certainly made a, 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 a global run I'm and, so glad and it's that. been been yeah. really really cool and I I speak as a result of it I do a lot of keynotes all over the place yeah I know you've written a book as well against against, against the, the grain, grain. Yeah, yeah my my book against the grain and the story of undefeated are two different things the book is not about football but it's about the principles displayed in undefeated and right. between the two I I speak all over the all over the country and, and do a lot of keynotes with places like Nike and Google and Frito-Lay and things like that. And and um, I guess the blessing of the whole thing for me is um, I, I have been, for better or worse, been given a platform and I get to go around the country and talk about some things that I think, you know, I get political correctness, um, but I think we, I think like any pendulum, it has swung so far that we have now gotten afraid to have politically incorrect yet non-threatening, open conversations about the stuff that matters. And the farther we get away from being able to talk to one another about gender and race and creed yeah. and religion, the more dangerous it is. And so. Um, you can't believe the conversations we've had in our home. And this is uh, for another day, another podcast for another day. It has nothing to do with the export. But we've been watching how on uh, college campuses in this country, people feel they don't have the right to be offended by a different point of view. I mean, personally, college campuses are where you should be having those discussions. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. And be respectful and tolerant it's, it's of in, totally it, different... It's interesting to me that the very definition of liberal is, is open thought where you don't really care who gets credit. It's just the seeking of the right answers to complicated questions exactly. based on factual data and open thought and and hearing out everybody's and that's what college is supposed to be about it's supposed to be about liberal open thought and it has become almost dangerous to be a liberal thinker which is ironic because i know as many closed-minded progressives as i do closed-minded conservatives liberal has 
nothing to do, in my opinion, with a political slant. It has to do with a with a mental approach to any uh-huh. issue. And the thing is, back to the whole point to your podcast is. We do business all over the world. I do business with people literally in every continent. And I travel, I'm leaving in two days, I mean in two weeks for Germany. Uh, then I'll be in London, just got back from China and Vietnam, was just in Uzbekistan, literally all over the world. And I, I will tell you, um, the, the, the more you drop preconceived notions, the more you drop what you think you're supposed to think about a particular group or sect of people based on some religious or sexual or 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 societal identity and you just sit and have a conversation about stuff that matters and you're not really worried about being offensive because you're actually having these non-politically correct conversations in a civil respectful manner the more you find out yeah. We genuinely are all the same. I know. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I agree with that 200%. I mean, I'll just have to say that when I first got involved in international trade, which is early 80s, whatever, but I've, I still had this naive notion that trade can mean peace. If you're, if you're trading and you're working together... You're on the same side. It's not a naive notion at all. It's not a naive notion at all. I think if you... I don't know two businesses that ever started a war. Right. You I have... know governments and politicians that have. Right. But right. I've never seen two businesses that ever started a war. I can't think of any. So, and and I believe in aid, too, but that we'll have that conversation another day. But I think it's part of the same <laughs> it is. idea. It so, is. So there, there I've said my little. <laughs> well, it's a podcast. You're allowed to, and it's your podcast. So you yeah, exactly. Podcast. Exactly. So, well, I have to thank you so much. Happy, I've really, happy to en- visit I've with really you. enjoyed this conversation. And, As did I. And I uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 